Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, we're looking at two of the big influences on share prices right now, the macro environment of inflation and rates, and the micro influence of the actual money being made at companies. With inflation data due and the largest companies reporting results, that's our focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. There's lots of things that can influence the direction of the stock market. The top-down effects of economic factors like interest rates and inflation have become central to our expectations of where shares are heading next. But the actual performance of companies and the money that they are able to make is what ultimately determines what shares are worth to those who hold them. Right now, there's important news due in both these areas. Inflation data is being closely watched for signs that price rises have peaked and interest rate rises are working. Meanwhile, the biggest companies in the world are due to report, with investors wondering whether their profits can justify their sky-high valuations. To discuss all of it, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, now let's start with the macro side of things, shall we? All over the world, inflation data is being closely watched for signs that it is falling. That's particularly the case here in the UK. And we're going to get an update this week on June's inflation figure. Um, But once again, Tom, we are in the position of talking about data that has not yet been published on a podcast that will go out after said data has been published. So we're not going to dwell too much on what exactly it's going to say. But it is fair to say, isn't it, that we really do need some signs of inflation easing? That would be really nice, uh, in in particular uh, here in the UK. Um, We're a bit of an outlier uh, now for all all the wrong reasons on the on the inflation uh, front, as you say, um, we don't know what um, uh, we don't know what inflation is going to come out at this week, and by the time people are listening to this, they will know. Uh, the expectation, though, is for it to fall, but not to fall by a great deal. Yep. it was eight point seven percent last month, and the expectation is that it's going to be, uh, you know, about eight percent, eight point two percent, that sort of level, which uh, is. You know, it's good that it's falling, but when you compare it to the inflation rate in, say, the US, where last week we heard that inflation was down at 3%, so, mm-hmm. you know, much closer to uh, to the target uh, of 2%, which both company uh, countries uh, share, um, you know, we're, we're really lagging well behind on, on the inflation front. And the problem is, with that sort of persistent inflation, is that the Bank of England's hands are pretty much tied. There is, there, there's no way, really, that they can credibly not keep um, hiking interest rates um, uh, uh, with with inflation refusing to, to, to come down. And the expectation is that early next month we'll get uh, another half percentage point increase uh, in interest rates up to five and a half uh, percent. And, you know, the cost of that is going to be high. I mean, particularly in the housing market, as we've discussed many times. But, you know, you could argue, I think it's right to argue that it's actually worse to let inflation get out of control. That's actually more damaging than the short term pain of of getting on top of it. Yeah. And and in that inflation data, the the 
the Bank of England obviously is going to pay attention to that the headline rate. That's what will get the uh, the news agenda or the news attention, I should say. Um, but it's underneath that you've got core inflation separate from the inflation data. You've got wage inflation in the labour market figures as well. These are the things that the Bank of England is really going to be watching, isn't it? Because it's looking for any signs that there's steam coming out of the economy. Um, we haven't seen much sign of that notwithstanding the fact that actually growth fell in the most recent um, figures that we've seen. Uh, but in terms of inflationary pressure, it's still there. That has to start coming down, right? Yeah, because last month, the, the core rate, which is, which is a rate which excludes the more volatile elements, things like uh, energy costs and food costs, which bounce up and down a, a lot and they can distort the figures. So um, the, the core rate doesn't disregards those and actually last month it rose to 7.1% and the expectation is that this this week we're going to see that stagnating so it's going to be roughly the same this month as it was um, the, the previous month and that's what the Bank of England really looks at because that's what's showing the sort of underlying inflationary pressures in the economy and and it's it's not it's not coming down as, as they would wish it to. Yeah, and there's an interesting debate, isn't there, uh, between economists actually at the moment about the uh, the efficacy of interest rate rises. Now, we discussed why um, th- they may not be as effective in bringing down inflation as they once were. That's to do with borrowing costs, basically, and how the general population actually feels borrowing costs and whether they feel them as much as they used to. Um, I guess it's the case that what the bank is trying to do is, yes, increase the cost of borrowing money, not just for individuals, but for businesses, that that should slow economic activity in time. But what it could really do with, I suppose, is a, is a change in sentiment, right? Because ultimately, all these figures in the economy, underneath them are real things happening, real people making real decisions every single day about, about how they spend money or don't spend money or ask for a new you know, ask for a pay rise or not, or move to a new job or not. All these things are affected by sentiment. And what the bank really is hoping is is that we all get a little bit more pessimistic about the economy and begin to see uh, maybe wages falling, maybe less growth in the economy, but we want to feel a little less secure, sadly. And that's what will bring demand down. Yes, and that is what interest rate rises are designed to do they are designed to slow the economy they're designed to make people feel a bit less secure in their jobs and uh, and and to feel like they've got a bit less money to spend trouble with interest rates is they're a blunt instrument mm. um they target a a, a specific segment uh, of the uh, of the population which is essentially people um, with mortgages that that's who that rising yeah. interest rates most directly uh, affect people who have borrowed a lot of money uh, and that's principally uh, mortgage holders there's a whole other other groups of people uh, for whom rising interest rates are actually quite good news I mean if you're a saver um, and you're now able to get five percent on a you know on a pretty much risk-free um, uh, savings account um, then that's you know that's that's good news um if you're on a if you're on an index linked um pension uh for example high inflation is not really a concern um because 
um, your your pension, what you receive every month, is going up in line with inflation. So if if prices are going up as well, if interest rates are going up, well, 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 so what? So and there's always a lag between the impact of of interest rate hikes and and the real uh, impact on the economy. There's so many moving parts here. It's a very difficult job for um, for the, the Bank of England to to pitch it uh, just right. But your basic premise is right. The the bank wants us all to become a bit more gloomy um, because that's what's going to bring inflation down. Yeah and, and what about the effect then Tom on the stock market of of this because we're talking about the macro effects and the micro effects on share prices. Um, we've become used haven't we to any tightening of monetary policy that means interest rate rises back in the day that would have meant uh, less QE um, th- that being bad for shares you know and, and and that was almost the primary influence on on the movements in in stock markets um but this year i'm interested because we've seen stock markets rise broadly speaking at a time when actually uh, monetary policy has been tightening what's your explanation for that is that the market looking through to a to a to a future when it, when policy is more expansive again I think that's I think that's broadly speaking what it is, and it's been a bit of a puzzle actually. Um, why the stock market has 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 continued to rise as, as strongly as it has in the face of um, uh, of rising uh, interest rates, and I think what investors are doing is that they are looking through this hiking cycle to what they anticipate will be an easing of policy in the in the back end of this year and uh, and and into uh, next year, and. It, to a degree, that makes sense because uh, that's how markets work. They do anticipate um, uh, the, the news flow rather than react to what's, what's actually happening. Um, I think the danger for markets um, is that, you know, a lot of that good news, if you like, a lot of that easing of policy is actually now being pretty much priced in. It has to happen. And this does happen, actually, that, that quite often the peak in the interest rate cycle actually coincides with, with a peak in the stock market because at that point, investors start looking forward not yeah. to falling interest rates, but they start taking notice of why interest rates are falling. And the reason why interest rates start to fall is that it's a response to a, a, a deteriorating economic situation. So we're heading towards recession and investors stop thinking, oh, phew, interest rates are coming down. And they start thinking, we're now heading towards recession. Yes. Well, that neatly, Tom, brings us on to the second part of our discussion today, which is related to company earnings. And obviously that they are ultimately affected by um, economic conditions and certainly would be in a recession. Uh, now, in the US, we have earnings season underway. We've had some big banks reporting. I believe we've got uh, uh, Tesla and Netflix posting numbers this week as well. Um this is going to be important, isn't it, Tom? Because investors, as you've said there, they are betting on companies being able to still perform no matter what is happening in the economy. And uh, I guess this is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, I think what, what investors are looking forward to now, the, the consensus uh, is that the quarter that's being reported on, the, the April to June quarter, probably marks the, 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 the trough in terms of decline uh, in earnings. The expectation is that earnings are going to fall by 8 or 9% uh, year on year in, in this, this quarter. But then things are going to pick up. And indeed, going into next year, 2024, it's expected that there will be a double-digit rise in earnings, and that's that's really what what uh, investors are looking 
uh, towards. Now, will that happen? Um, uh, the, the reporting season has really only just started. It's kind of started at the back end of last week. This is the first full week of, of results. We've had a lot of financials. Um, banks tend to do well when interest rates are rising. They, they, it's easier for them to earn, earn profits when there's, a, when there's a wider gap between what they can earn on their assets and what they have to pay depositors. Uh, and that's particularly the case in, in the US where banks are very slow at passing on um, rises in interest rates to their depositors. So it's good news for their profits. Um, technology, you mentioned um, uh, Tesla and Netflix there. I mean, I think technology stocks are the key in this earnings season because they have been driving the market so so clearly. Um, and uh, so a lot hangs on this earnings season. It's, it's always important, but I think this one is particularly important. Just just hop back three months and we had a similar situation. The market was expecting an eight or nine percent fall in earnings. Actually, it only uh, came through as a three percent decline in earnings. If we get something similar this time, I think that's good news. That will be a tailwind for the market. We might see the market continue to rise. But if we if if we get anything worse than that, I think so much has been baked in in terms of higher valuations that there's there's quite a lot of room for disappointment. Yeah, well, there certainly is. I mean, the the the, the S and P five hundred is not that far off its all time high. About six percent off its all time peak, which it's amazing, really, when you think that we're that we are potentially heading towards a recession. That's, yeah, that's an unusual state of affairs. Yeah, and and you've you've mentioned there uh, the importance of IT companies and um, big tech. Of course, just their size makes them really important, doesn't mm. it? Um, we we've spoken before about the divergence that's been going on in stock markets between the biggest companies, though particularly those tech companies in America, and the rest. Um, you can find all sorts of figures about you know demonstrating exactly how much they have driven the market. You've been writing this week um, about how what we're seeing at the moment has an echo from history. People often talk about the dot-com period, but actually you're thinking about a, a, an even earlier period and a, a group of companies known as the Nifty 50. What were you talking about? Yeah, so I mean, you do get these periods uh, um, from time to time when the market becomes very concentrated and, and a small group of companies lead the market. And the obvious parallel here is with the dot-com period of sort of 25 years ago. Uh, and, and I think it's obvious because in both cases, it was driven by technology mm. and, and, and the internet. So so people are drawing parallels with the dot-com period. But I think the more interesting period actually is the, is the early 1970s when, uh, as you say, there was this group of companies called the, the Nifty 50, um, big, solid, safe, companies you know with with familiar names some of which don't don't exist anymore but you know, the <laughs> likes of Kodak yeah. um, IBM um, Xerox you know so in their way technology companies they some of them were technology companies but they weren't all technology right. you know it's Johnson and Johnson some of them were big consumer okay. uh, companies so it was a wide range actually of sectors so it wasn't specifically a technology story it was a safety story and if you look back at the, at the, the, the backdrop the economic backdrop at the time you've got to think you know Vietnam War very high inflation you know there were a lot of similarities actually to today's world and that's why I think it's an interesting parallel because people are gravitating towards these tech stocks i think not because they're tech stocks but because they're they're perceived to be big safe companies and yeah. reliable they're going to churn out earnings for years to come and you know this is what happened then and it's what's happening now and 
valuations are being driven up because everyone's buying these stocks because they're perceived to be safe. And back in the early 70s, the the nifty 50s valuation was roughly twice that of the, the rest of the market. You know, it was a huge divergence in, in, in valuation until it wasn't. And, it, and you know, yes. from between about 1975 and 1982, which was really the bottom of the market in inflation-adjusted terms, um, uh, over that period, the, the, the valuation uh, gap narrowed until when you got to 1982 and the bottom of the market, there was actually no distinction between these former high flyers and the rest of the market. So that's a very interesting question. Do we have... Uh, do we go through a similar process now where the rest of the market catches up and some of those unbelievable sort of nosebleed valuations start to, to revert back to normality? And, and it's going to be a big question for anyone that regards themselves as a value investor, isn't it? They, they must be hoping and praying that that moment does come. Um, it probably won't be all in one go, but if, if, if lots of the undervalued parts of the market can can catch up one way or the other... Um, that's what a lot of investors and a lot of fund managers are going to be waiting for. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, most active fund managers are looking for those value opportunities. And that's why the current uh, market situation is very challenging for those kinds of investors. Because when the market is being driven by a small handful of companies on very high valuations, which is very difficult for those types of investors to justify investing in because you know you, you know yes they're doing well but they're ridiculously overvalued on most yeah. measures um but if you're not in those stocks you're underperforming the market and then you're having to explain why you're underperforming the market and, and there's a sort of there's a there's a sort of uh you know a, a, a sort of sin in the fund management world which is benchmark hugging mm. which is you know you're just sort of you know buying the index and you're obviously charging a bit more than a tracker fund would mm. be doing that's very much frowned upon but in periods when, you know, the benchmark is being dominated by a small number of companies and you have to kind of be in those companies to to keep pace, then then you, you sort of got a, a difficult choice to make. Are you going to benchmark hug or are you just going to underperform? Yes, exactly. And, and ultimately, I think that's a bit of a no brainer for an investor because, you know, un that, that's how they're measured. Their performance is how they're measured. Uh, so if you know that your course of action may, may be right intellectually it may be right you may you know in the long run it may be right but if in the short term it means that you look like a poor investor yeah. what are you going to do yeah indeed um well look tom we've ranged about there but uh we've covered loads and that is just about all the time we have for now so thanks for joining me thanks ed Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.